Hey everybody, welcome back to another commissioned bald movie. This one up from Fernando Rodriguez. You might recognize that name. He's the guy that brought you the Goonies podcast. Ah, uh, yes. Classic. Classic, classic podcast. Uh, he says, it's time for me to throw down movie number two in the Fern trilogy. Ooh, oh. I can't wait to see what the... the, the Foreshadowing. <laughs> what the three-peat's going to be. I tell you, it's, he's got it all. Uh, I went with child adventure and comedy the first one. For the second, we go with romance and spirituality with Vincent Ward's 1998 What Dreams May Come. Uh, as a semi-Catholic, moving more and more to the scientific side as I get older, which has made me lose some love with family and friends, I can in a small way relate to your history with your former religion and always find your conversations about religion and its concepts fascinating. Mm. I feel like religion has a lot of problems, but I also feel the idea of faith or spirituality is good to have. The topic of afterlife and the concept of it, I feel, brings faith and spirituality to the forefront, and this movie, to me, is the best concept and idea of an afterlife is there, if there ever was one, put the film. I'm scared as hell about this commission because of its religious overtones, but I love the film so much that I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So... Uh, also, before we get much further, he also wanted to dedicate this podcast to his wife, Samantha. We just hit our nine-year wedding anniversary on October 7th, and we've known each other for 17 years with one daughter and a baby girl on the way in February. I don't know if soulmates exist, but if so, she's mine. I would head into hell with Max von Sydow to get her back anytime. <laughs> uh, Jim, what do you think of this movie? Uh, I had to get out of my own way to enjoy this movie because... I think most people listening to this podcast probably know how I feel about uh, religion in general and and afterlife and all that goes with it. Uh, don't believe in it. Find it, uh, frankly, a little disturbing that people live their life as if there is one. And so when I am presented with these concepts in a movie, I immediately uh, kind of recoil a little bit. But... By the end of this movie, I actually came to appreciate it, uh, both both on a cinematic level and a some somewhat of a storytelling level. It's not a bad movie. Um, I love this movie, and mm-hmm. I don't have any problems um, compartmentalizing my own beliefs because I I guess here's the thing: I admire a belief in the afterlife. I wish I could maintain it, and I think the Ugh. if I did believe in the afterlife, well, we can debate this. <laughs> Okay. If I did believe in an afterlife, I think it would probably like I would. I think this is a perfectly fine way to conceptualize it, right? Um, and that's what I mean. Like I, I, when I say I have to get out of my own way, it's like okay, forget what you personally think about an afterlife, whether or not you believe in it, and go with this idea. Yeah, and in fact, so there are there. I, I think this movie is a great movie. There are some problems with it, even if you set aside your religious differences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm actually glad of the problems because it na- enabled me to maintain enough emotional detachment from the characters that it wasn't as devastating as I think it would have been. Because, like, okay. I, let me tell you my, my frame of mind coming into this. Uh-huh. Um, I just gotten home. I was in a super good meal. Just ate a, a great meal with my fiance. We're sitting on the couch. We just watched um, Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with the great Tom Hanks making me re- lament the fact that all he seems to do is drama nowadays because he's so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. And we are just like busted our gut laughing on several occasions. And we're like, you know what? We got like two and a half hours before American Horror Story. And we're just debating what to do. And I'm like, what, have you seen What Dreams May Come? Do you want do you, I mean, It's my, our next commission. I got to watch it sometime in the next 48 to 72 hours. And so we decided to put it on. 
And boy, I uh, the water works for going early and, uh, <laughs> and, and frequently. Early, yeah. Like it started. Like how with the, early? It started the dog. <laughs> Okay, uh, no, yeah. actually, I think it started right. with the death, just like the deaths of the two children, I think, was pretty, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a parent, um, losing a child is something else. But if you lose two child, two children in some freak accident, and mm-hmm. um, he was pretty bummed out. And in fact, I, I probably would have been more bummed out, but I think the flaw of this film is that the family featured is just too damn perfect. Everything is too romanticized in the beginning. Yes. Uh, like like that meat far I, too I, much. I've heard of meat cute, but bumping into sailboats meat cute in oh some kind God. of Swiss lake. Right. At the foothills of the alley. Like, come on. Right. Robin Williams is like in, in, in the youngest looking makeup I've ever seen him wear is when I bump into one of the most beautiful exotic women that happens to be sailing in this crystal. I mean. And then the idea like. They just didn't sell this relationship to me. Um, all all they did, they tried. Oh, they, they tried, tried, but they tried way too fast. Like they tried like I, Jack Lemmon in in uh, d- uh, Death of the Salesman or whatever the hell that thing. Glenn, right. Glenn Ross. He's yeah. like, you know, I got a flip plane. I got, I got a plane ticket to Florida, and uh, <laughs> this is a once in a lifetime offer. And uh, these people are soulmates, and uh, you, you're gonna right. you go buy that, right? Oh, totally. I I couldn't. Like everything is just so rapid fire at the beginning, like, yeah. and they expect you to invest because they're laughing and smiling, and that's just it didn't do it for me. Um, I, I I eventually like once Robin Williams once the movie settles in and Robin Williams starts to actually express some emotion other than laughing at nothing, like right. looking at his his he, fiance he, wife. I was really worried and he's just gonna laughing. Be, I was really worried he's going to be stuck in Patch Adams mode. And right. I'm like, oh, but because here's the thing, Adam, but, but then I, I I got behind it once he started right. doing a a good job at acting. No, Robin Williams with properly directed can bring the thunder. Oh and, yeah, and really pull emotion out of you and absolutely and make you feel things that you're were were uh, not planning on feeling that day. Yeah, he does uh, it. He he's got. But man, when, when they were showing the family fighting over, or not fan, like the the water fight over the the cleaning the car, I'm like, if my kid sprayed a hose in my car, it would just be death. I don't care if we were having a good time to that point. You just you you, you done fucked up, Timmy, or whatever yeah. your name is. Yeah, like that's just it's like no, you can't. You, what, what are you spraying a garden hose in the car for? What the you know. <laughs> Yeah. What, the ceiling to fall in on your head? Is that what you want? Like, Yeah, I, just none of the moments felt real at the beginning. And it was so rapid fire. Like, at, at one point, they do a four-year time jump. Mm-hmm. At, this is after they're married, after the kids are, are grown up. They right. do another four-year time jump. And I'm like, we are more years into this movie than we are minutes at this point. Sure. Like, <laughs> And I'd also, I guess, I think it would have worked better if they did... Like it seems like when he got the and, and spoilers for everything you were you're about to get a lot. I mean everything we talked about so far happens in the first fifteen minutes of the movie. But um, I do think if nothing else, you should see this for the visual splendor. Yeah, right. Like there yeah. are some visuals and effects that I've never seen before nor since, and I think you know in 1998, um, pretty visionary. Uh, the other thing yeah. uh, before I go too much further is I remember thinking when I was queuing this film up, I was like, oh, I always wanted to see this film. I assume they didn't because it was rated R, and I saved my rated R indiscretions for like science fiction blockbusters back in the day. And it really depressed me to get 30 minutes in a movie and realize the reason I didn't see this movie is because it conflicted with my religious worldview. Right. And I'm like, God damn it, what a fucking... 
you know, stick in the mud <laughs> of a philosophy. I, this isn't I rated R, right? No, it's PG-13. Okay. I was going to say, how could this possibly be rated No, R? but I wouldn't watch it because it touched on concepts of heaven and hell and things about the afterlife that Jehovah's Witnesses don't agree with. Right. Um, I can't remember where I was going. Before we get... Oh, I, I think yeah. I think it would have worked better for me anyway if they'd led with the friction and the conflict. You know, because there was some genuine conflict in the life of... Oh, with the kids. With the yeah, kids yeah. and, like, you know, maybe Robin Williams or Christy was pushing him too hard. Um, but he also... And, and if they'd led with that and made it seem like maybe their relationship wasn't as perfect as mm-hmm. it was. And then... Like, the flashbacks were all about the good times. Right. I think that might have worked better for me. But overall, my, my criticism of the film is that the family was so perfect that I, there was no, like, there were Teflon. I just slipped off. Yep. And the ending was a little bit too saccharine. I thought that they were going yep. for something darker <laughs> and more, you know, important about healing and moving on and how you just, right. sometimes you just can't save people. And nope, it was, and not any of that, but, like, the syrupiest in, like, the, when yep. they went to the reincarnation and the little oh, kids God. bumping model boats, I was like, oh, Wow. Yep. Wow. Um, yeah, to me, it's bookended with some pretty crappy stuff, uh, but the middle section of this movie is really, really strong. It's really strong, really interesting, and just, again, yeah. visually striking. Can I? Let me tell you, it's rare that I would say this, but I think I could have done with a longer cut of this movie, like another 20 minutes up front. Yeah, this film was actually uh, shorter than I was uh, expecting. When I saw that it was not even two yeah. hours, I was kind of surprised. Yeah, if they had done more to establish this relationship, it would have hit me harder, um, establish this, what this family's like, uh, give, give me a taste for that. And then what the fuck is with this death scene? Robin Williams' death scene. Like, What do you mean? I mean, they're so... Okay, the, orig- the the first crash I get, right? Like, douchebag in his Porsche is speeding through this yeah. tunnel, causes an accident. But then Robin Williams almost gets run over by another speeding car who's who's just flying down this tunnel where the cars are stopped. Right. And then a car literally ramps off of other cars okay. at 90 miles a fucking hour and lands on his head. Like... Who who drives ninety miles an hour into a line of stopped cars with their brake lights I on? I mean, people. I've, I've seen enough Reddit WTF to know that people do. Um, but I think I get your point. The point was that this guy is a doctor and he was heading towards danger with no real regard to his own. And I think sure. they could have just killed him with the first one, right? Like he got and someone like they didn't something need, a little more believable. They I, didn't need Die Hard. I'll tell you another thing I didn't <laughs> care for. Uh-huh. Um, I'm in the middle of this rapturous scene of him in his wife's painting in heaven, and a bird shits on him. <laughs> like I will go to my grave thinking that Robin Williams forced that in. Like yeah. he wanted to wear the red nose when he was talking to the sick girl, uh-huh. and he wanted the bird to shit oil paint on him, and they let him win one of those battles. What? Because Robin that Williams, just he he's got contracts, man. He puts things in his contracts. Like <laughs> during the nineties, he he had it in his contract that he absolutely had to have uh, a cable and a crane connected to his nutsack in every movie he did. <laughs> <laughs> From Hook to What Dreams May sure. Come, yep. he got on set, he drank a gallon of coffee, he said, hook me up. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, that that was that's just way too waka waka for me in this movie oh, and, yeah. and, and the tone they were kind of going for. Um, but I don't know. That was I thought it was interesting, the concept of this guy being kind of like tied to Earth in this ghost stage and, you know, Cuba – 
uh, Gooding Jr., uh, who is this mentor, and they didn't really identify this until later in the film that he was supposed to be a guy that he interned with, I guess, or he was yeah. like his his it's Albert older this... mentor. That yeah, he doctor. looked up and respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's a young man in heaven, of course. Um, but you know, he was kind of guiding him through, and uh, he says, "When is this over? It's, you know, when when do I get? To, you know, why am I still here?" And he says, "It's over when you want when you're ready to stop hurting her." And he's talking about his wife because they made it seem like every time him as the ghost would try to get Patrick Swayze with her, yeah, that that was her those intrusive thoughts of their their happiness and the former life making her unable to move on. Well, I thought it was really cool, but also kind of contradicted later on when, you know, it seemed like she, he was all that she, well, her, her family, broadly speaking, was all that she had to live for. So like, which is it? Like, was his presence a a torment or a comfort? I mean, I, I I, I think that was an interesting way to like, you know, as, as, as people were selfish, like when we think about, you know, Death, fear of death is essentially the ultimate fear of missing out. Okay. The FOMO, they call it in, in marketing circles. It's the, the thing you try to generate, you know, like why why you want to have collections of things and why you stick through to the series finale even though you have, you've really not enjoyed it for the last two seasons. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to be the one person who's missing out on something that, that when something awesome happens. Right. Um, and half of death is that. The other half is the fear of being forgotten, that, you know, no one sure. will love you anymore. I mean, everyone wants to be loved and known and admired, and death is like the ultimate end to all that. So those two things are, I think, why most people fear fear death and uncertainty. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. So you specifically mentioned, like, the him Patrick Swayzeing her, mm-hmm. him ghosting her. Uh, I, I, I dislike that concept. Because it seems to take all the agency away from the person who is grieving and put it on some nebulous ghost figure who's causing you the pain. Mm. Like, I, I don't know. A lot of concepts in this film bother me. And it's not just limited to the afterlife. It's limited – or it's it's extends to a lot of the ways that people deal with grief um, and loss. All right. Um, so, so what I say is, like, I don't think that these concepts are – at least I don't treat them as literal. Uh, when I see the ghost of him kind of preventing her from moving on, I'm not saying, I mean, yeah, obviously in the film, it's kind of, I guess you say, robbing her of her agency. Yeah. But it's also that tension between wanting to be remembered and wanting people to move on. Like, I've heard of couples sure. having these proclamations, like, if I die, you better never remarry. Right. Number right. one, it, that's not an enforceable contract. Number sure. two, like, that's so profoundly selfish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you want someone to be miserable, like you know, if that's their choice, fine. If if they can't f- move on, if they can't find happiness, but that's a curse. Mm-hmm. That's not something to to wish upon someone. Yeah. Um, if I can get on my high horse a little bit, but what <laughs> what what concepts did you find despicable? The concept I found uh, despicable is the fact that you can walk on water, but you have to climb okay. stairs. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Like, if I can fly and walk right. on water, why am I ever going to walk up the stairs? Yeah, that's a good point. Why it's even have stairs? You've been robbing and walking upstairs like a bunch of schlubs. Like, they can't, <laughs> like, you, you got your nutsack hooked up, man. Right. Make use of it. Uh, for, for me, for me, one of the other uh, kind of despicable concepts is the idea that uh, the way that they deal with suicide in this movie uh, I think is fairly disgusting because. You know, a lot of the times suicide is is not 
suicide is is caused by pain and suicide is like a relief for that pain in a lot of um in a lot of scenarios yeah and like i they punish they punish suicide in this and i I think that's well that's kind of disgusting that's interesting because do they punish suicide or they say that that pain like i think this, the, the frightening thing about well, they the movie. do because they're they send them to a place where they they have the life not lived or something like that. I think the, the, life the movie makes it pretty clear lived. that they sent themselves there, right, right? So, so essentially, they're talking about an afterlife is a continuity of your consciousness. If you uh-huh. are a, a suicidal person um, and your consciousness was is is, is continuous, then mm-hmm. why would you wake up in the afterlife and be ready to get out of the cycle that led you to taking your own life? So I think, I, don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, guess... again, I can understand why you're seeing it that way. From my perspective, it's almost like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a meditation on depression and how okay. it's a prison that you are put. Yeah. No one put you like, no one made you depressed. Right. You didn't make yourself depressed either. Um, I'm not trying to blame people that are depressed, but like, it's right. a state that is extremely hard to get out of. Well, I mean, Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, oh, she's not violated the natural order of life. And like, uh, this is this is the the place where people go th- where they they can't like you know make uh birds shit on them at will mm-hmm. um but it i don't know it it was it was a little disturbing to me because well, it I, seemed like a place that can i take a stab at resolving some of that so i feel yeah. like what cuba was trying to say was this is the popular conception of hell and, like, mm-hmm. he was saying, like, well, you know, we don't – maybe the, the traditional religious folks don't have it exactly right. But he was taking essentially towing the party line, and Robin Williams questioned that. And it turns out Robin oh, Williams right. is yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a statement of, like, that people – you know, again, I'm going to go take one – because you know, believing in the afterlife is one thing. If I take another step and now we're going to introduce the concept of God or some ultimate f- cosmic good – I think that's a that's a classic apologist line is like God's not bad. Us sinful, wicked humans can only conceive of God as this vengeful thing, and we have to form constructs around eternal punishment and separation from Him and concepts like limbo and hell, so that we can under you know the the, the they kind of they kind of bring God down to our level. I don't think that's very persuasive as a person who's read the bible completely through several times like i think mm-hmm. i think god's got his own press machine if that's it then it's <laughs> you know that the people that are going hellfire and brimstone at least the old testament the folks are pretty much right on um i don't know so i i, I guess that i i, I it was think... just the judging nature of cuba that was the thing but did you think that was the voice of the film because i thought the voice of the film was robin williams where you never give up on the people that you love yeah yeah that's true so I mean, yeah, I, I guess, but he, it's... but he was kind of the, the, the guidance. You know, you know, he was the, the view as they have it in this afterlife. It's also weird how kind of sanguine he was about the situation when you f- later find out that that's his mother that they're talking about. Like, and he kind of he completely. And what did you think oh, about right, that? Right. The fact that we meet Cuba Gooding Jr. and Keiko O'Brien. And they turn out to be um, proxies for his. Well, not proxies. They're actually their children, and they're wearing right. They're manifesting different guises for yeah. different reasons. Like she took the form of Keiko O'Brien, which is if you don't know, it's a Deep Space Nine joke I'm making. Yeah, um, actually, a uh, Star Trek Next Generation joke. Uh, if I want to be 
pedantic. <laughs> uh, that she, which was kind of creepy. I guess she heard her father make an offhand statement about how elegant and beautiful. Uh-huh. Or uh, Asian women are. Yeah. Oh, so when, your dad was a creeper. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So your dad's like, you know, had had a bit of yellow fever, and uh-huh. and then you chose this form to appeal to him. <laughs> like what? What? But whatever. Uh, I, th- I thought yeah. the son appearing as the one person he, that his father ever listened to consistently, right? Knowing that he was going to have to convince him. But I don't know how to reconcile that with him trying to talk him out of going after his mom in hell, because it seems like. Was that well, a case of reverse psychology? He didn't psychology? also want to lose his father, I think. Right, right because like, they, they, the danger of going down yeah. and, and someone, which that's another interesting thing about like a, like a take on mental health is like right. if you don't not willing to go down with a person, then you can't help them. Like uh, that could be seen as enabling, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not 100 percent sure how I feel about that either. Mm-hmm. The, there are, yeah, I mean. Maybe despicable is too strong of a word, um, but there are concepts that I find dubious right. in this film. Uh, not just the afterlife concept, but sure. you know, actual emotional uh, grief concepts. But yeah, I really like how the characters manifested differently. I mean, Max von Sydow, you know, he turns out to be the actual Albert. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and I I don't know. I thought it was really effective. Right. Uh, and Robin and, Williams, and then he does Robin the Williams ended up end. being actually Annabella Sciorra. Uh, I'm not. I probably butchered her name, but um, is that the, the actress who played his wife? What I just I was making a joke about how <laughs> okay. everyone is just like it's it's like a right. round robin kind of thing. But he did he did manifest as someone else, right? He manifested as a neighbor um, to his wife to Annie. Oh, that's true. And in the end, we didn't he, get to see that because the deli- tracker like gives him that info at the end, yeah. and then he's like, "Oh, okay, I'll do that." Too. Yeah, we didn't get to see that delusion from her point of view, but right. that's what was happening. Yeah, uh, uh, so that, that made a lot of sense, and I, I thought it was cool. I also like the fact that there's a little dog from every town as far as religion goes in this film. You mm-hmm. got reincarnation, you got heaven and hell, you've got like a limbo, you've got vaguely Judeo Christian ideas about suicide mm-hmm. versus like, you know, Buddhist and Shinto kind of takes on rebirth and, and life. And I, I I thought that stuff was all really interesting. And I can't I can't talk enough about the idea of him being in this painting and like i don't know exactly how all they did it like clearly there's a lot of green screen going on but i'll be damned if i was watching this 20 year old movie and wasn't just utterly convinced that robin williams is making his way through an oil painting yeah no it looks like like especially when he grabbed the flower Uh and it dissolved into oil like that looked so goddamn convincing like i don't know when the because I'm pretty sure that was an actual flower at one point. <laughs> right. And maybe yeah, it's then... simpler to do those kind of greasy, weird effects. But I, I, I and I, I, I'm not sure why I've never seen something like that like, since because it's super effective. Yeah. It's it like, is. you know, when you uh, saw The Matrix and they did the stop motion and you saw that, like, for the next 10 years, everybody's used the shit out of it. Like, why right. haven't I seen more oil painting fantasies? I mean, we've seen stuff like it. There's a scanner darkly, which does some rotoscope stuff. That's not near. It, it, interesting mm. and in the same vein, but yeah, I mean, the, sort the, of, sort it's of rotoscoped animation. This is right. like something, something, and and, and there weren't like live actors in the middle of the. I mean, they were all rotoscoped equally. 
Yeah. Like, it, that's the thing. Like, if Robin Williams had been kind of oily painting, too, mm-hmm. I think I would have had – I've been less impressed or amazed by the effect. But the fact that he was right. very real and so was the dog. And, like, as he's moving through the environment, like, paint started accumulating on his clothes. And um, I, I just – man, I thought it was so cool. Yeah. It looked it looked like they were digitally, like, just painting on mm-hmm. top of on top of probably what wasn't even a set at all. I mean, mm-hmm. he's probably, like – running around on a green screen. Did you understand the significance of him seeing the purple tree and why that blew Cuba Gooding Jr.'s mind? Yeah, it's because it was something that she had painted after he died, so he shouldn't have any knowledge of it. But but he hung around and saw a bunch of things. Like, are, But once he went to heaven, you're not supposed to be able to look down on your loved ones or look out for your loved ones? I don't know. That's a good question because he, he saw his own funeral. He saw her grieving over his tombstone. Like but That was in his ghost phase. So I guess once right. you get over your ghost phase and you leave, you don't get to go because, you know. Maybe. But, but then again, how did Cuba Gooding Jr. find out that his wife died if there's no way right. to get that information? He said he was off doing some other work. Maybe he was helping out God or whatever. Yeah, because he God's does. Like, yeah. hey, this guy, his right. wife just died. Right. You, or maybe he. You want your may, wings, Cuba? I mean, this, this is, is the kid, so maybe he's snooping on his mom. Maybe he's just like looking down from heaven on hmm. his mom. I don't know. Hmm. He sees, I don't know. Sees that stuff. Uh, I think the, the, the other effects. L- l- can I just say the painting effect is way better than the flying effects? I thought the flying sure. effect was kind of shitty. Yeah. Um, you see these these cherubs and stuff flying around, and they all just it's look pretty goofy, like ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, did you read any significance into like specifically the blue petals? Because they're everywhere. They're they're there from the beginning of the movie. I just assumed as... it was. I am a lot of this stuff seemed cribbed from a lot of the pre-Raphaelite painters, like the way mm-hmm. they're using light and just that's like you, you know, like it, like if you if you want to think of a painting that's sumptuous and gorgeous and and beautiful, like I I tend to f- like think of that style like and Bob like Ross. those. Those well, I wouldn't say he's pre-Raphael. I don't know what I'd call him, but I don't know what term you're using there. So you'd see, you'd recognize the paintings if I showed you. But mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think that I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's some significance to the blue, but I feel like that's just the palette they were using, and like when they wanted something yeah. somber and sad, like his his her, his wife trying and failing to move on, they went with the you know the blue and the violets. And when they're going for hopeful and Robin Williams moving forward, they brought out the golds and the the bright greens and the reds. reds yep. uh, and then I, when they went to hell, it's all fucking you know yeah. last movie in the Harry Potter sequel. It's this Hogwarts is being attacked by Voldemort. And I was thinking more Mad Max, Mad Mad Max von Sydow. <laughs> There is, especially the gates of hell was being yeah. protected by a comedy. Like if you took the um, the Lost Boys from Hook uh-huh. and bred <laughs> yeah. them genetically with the Mad Max uh, crew, <laughs> that's what you'd end up with. Yep, a bunch. That's a bangerang. You don't want to that's be involved just in. Nowhere do you want to be in the middle of that bangerang? <laughs> no. Uh, I also like the how um, the physical environment reflected his emotions a lot of the time. So when he got angry, like sad or angry, the thunder he, would roll in. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty nice. Robin Williams literally bringing the thunder. So at the end of the movie, I kind of started viewing this not so much through the idea of afterlife, but the idea of closure Mm -hmm. and how like, I mean, one of the reasons like an unexpected breakup is so devastated because it it deprives you of that closure. One of the reasons that like a car accident is so traumatic and in a different way than like losing a loved one to Alzheimer's or a prolonged bout of cancer is like you know 
you get the closure in those latter things. It's it's not like something that you're happy about, but you have time to put your affairs in order. You have time to say goodbye. Um, you have time to process that grief where when something just, just gets ripped away from you, you don't have it. And this movie seemed like it was like the ultimate closure fantasy. Mm-hmm. That all your unfinished business can be attended to. Like there's nothing that if you want to reconnect to a loved one, there's no distance that can be put between you that mm-hmm. you wouldn't, with the help of eternity and some oil paint, be able to resolve. Right. And I understand why that's so attractive to people, because sure. that's just... absolutely. A, that's that's an extension of the things you crave in life, not wanting to see those end in, in death. Yeah, and, and being able to fix all of your regrets. I mean, of course that would be attractive to people. Right. Uh, the regrets, because you wish you could change them, and if you could, you would. Right. Um, I don't, so I'm wondering about the thing with the kids, because that's the one thing I also teared up when Robin Williams was talking about his son in terms of not being able to, uh, find out about not, not being able to meet the man that he was going to become. I thought that was pretty, pretty moving and emotional, but on the other time, Mm -hmm. super high pressure because his, his child was was essentially perfect. Right. And the real child, of course, wouldn't have been perfect. And you wonder, like, how Robin Williams would have dealt with that. You know, his character Christy, how that would have he would have dealt with that tension. So, like, yeah, I mean, it, they do make it clear that his kid isn't perfect, right? I mean, no, he's he's not quote unquote as good as smart as or whatever. Robin Williams' right. character Christy, right? I mean, right. he and he was pushing him to be that. So, right. like, clearly, y- yeah. I mean, the relationship that they had was painted very in very rosy colors at the beginning right. but it it does unravel by the end yeah but we like see the cracks i i don't understand um i also like the point that they made and i guess that's the i mean that's that's the I, emotional takeaway for me is when um i thought it was amazing the conversation that his wife had with his daughter about the dog dying and like you know the you murdering okay. the dog versus you know putting the dog out of its misery Right. And how like that's compassionate versus selfishness, and you know, asking like uh, you know, the thesis that a place where we all go can't be bad. And mm-hmm. I think that I don't know that might be too uh, squishy for you, but yeah. like I do feel like that at the end of the day. Like so, I, I've because I'll confess that I have one. You know, I, I'm somewhat uncomfortable, less so now than I was 10 years ago, but that was one of the big things that kept me in my religion is that I was uncomfortable with the thought of death. Hmm. Yeah. And I remember reading secular thinkers like Sagan and, um, you know, even more recently, like Roger Ebert was writing up until the weeks he died. Mm-hmm. And he actually wrote something very eloquent and beautiful a month or two before he died about his view, personal views of death. And I don't know, and I, and I kept on getting like these nuggets and conversations with my friend about like, you know, are you afraid to fall? You know, are you afraid to fall asleep every night? So if you're not, why are you afraid of death? Or right. you know, the period before? Do you ever get existential anxiety about the period before you existed, before you were born? Uh, right. I, so I, so I don't why? like the sleep question. I think the sleep question ignores the idea that you know you're going to wake up the next day, or you are likely to wake up the next day. But there's nothing but like you. Your loss you of consciousness born, sure. is not right. a scary thing. It's only scary because it's permanent. But then if you meditate right. on that, why is that the case? Mm-hmm. So I've, I've got all these like different secular kind of bon mots that I've had in my head, and I can't remember which one I got this from. 
Um, but one thing I want to discuss with you is I don't know how you view the afterlife or whether there's just nothing or whether you're like adamant about that or whether you're mili- militant about that. But no, how, how could I be? I don't know anything about it. No one does. Right. It's impossible to know. Right. So I mean, I couldn't be militant that there is nothing. I, I, I can say with a high degree of confidence, I don't think like the pearly gates are real. I don't think right. the fires of hell are real. Uh-huh. But like if there's something to persist, because something I, I think it might have been Roger Ebert. Uh, he said one of the last things he said is that the thing that comforts him is the thought that energy can neither be created or destroyed. Mm-hmm. And the concept that, you know, what makes us us are electrochemical reactions in our brain. And, you know, whether that goes out into the universe, um, whether that retains some kind of conscious shape, like, I guess it wasn't super important to him, but the fact that something of us is retained in the, the memories of others and maybe in a very right. real kind of conservation of energy uh, sense of the word. And I don't know. Okay. I don't know how that uh, slams up against entropy and the heat death of the universe. Uh-huh. Um, but what, so, so what do you, what do you think, or do you just not care? Like what about do you, the afterlife about de- death dying? Oh, how do I feel? Am I, am I afraid of death? Um, <clears throat> when I was younger, I would say, no, absolutely. I'm I'm not in any way afraid of death, but I think, you know, as I as I live through my life and I have more uh that I've invested in and and more that uh that thrills me and that I enjoy, I think death becomes a scarier proposition. Not not in the the way that I'm terrified by it on a daily basis, but right. like you just have more to lose, you know, and yeah. and if you wake up every day, the more, more you value than in disappointed life, than right. The, the more you value life, and the more uh, good things you see in life, I think the more not afraid of death, but like hoping that death doesn't come, sort of thing, uh, probably seeps into your life. How? It, of course, it's inevitable. Uh, you just right. always kind of hope that today is not the day, right? Like, right. How is it? Because you've always seen this, these these people that kind of like go into death completely unafraid and satisfied, and I'll even put like Roger Ebert up against that. Like you know, even though mm-hmm. his last few years on Earth are kind of hellish, um, an intellectual and an intelligent person, someone that thrives on creativity and synergy with others, being robbed of his voice to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he also had this platform, this like you know, like it's kind of fortuitous that this happened when it did at the rise of blogging and and Twitter and that he was able to still have all these meaningful and deep conversations with people. Um, But, but how is it? Because I don't know if I'm 78 and I'm 85 or whatever, and I'm lying in bed. Am I like, I've seen people be very like, I've lived a long life. Don't feel bad for me. I'm it's my time and I'm ready to go. Like, Mm-hmm. versus you know um like i i can't i if if i imagine myself um doctor telling me i got six months to live i feel like that's like the worst thing ever and i feel like i would immediately descend into a crippling depression <laughs> and right. like i might try to hold it together for the benefit of my family and friends but like how i would feel about it and i wonder are some of those people just genuinely that unafraid and like ready to face the next step you'd be the angriest man in brooklyn wouldn't you sure Another, uh, another Robin Williams movie, not <laughs> nearly as good as this one. But you know, it's like I. Do you think that there are those people that just have that kind of like, "Hey, I've had a good run. It's my time to go." Or do you think that's a front that they're putting? Or no, I feel like they probably those people probably believe that. Like, I don't know. Who am I to say what they believe? Hmm. 
Like, I, I can't tell them, oh, you're putting on a front. I don't know. You're a podcaster with an opinion. I'm just <laughs> – I'm <laughs> but, inviting you to, to – to, People uh, have all different types of perspectives on this, right? I mean, some people – probably go through life and they see, you know, all the stuff they've built and they see all the stuff they've lost and they say, uh, you know, to, perhaps today is a good day to die. <laughs> and, right. And then there are other people who desperately cling to it. Right. Uh, and then there are people who jump off of buildings 129 feet up in the air and nearly hit their heads on the piers down below. Yeah, that's the thing that, like, in these Daredevils. videos you see of, like, the people doing parkour 150 floors right. up where, like, it's not even your own skill you're trusting in. Like, if that tile that you're jumping onto is right. loose, you're going to die. Uh-huh. Like, but but I've never seen, like, a 50... I've never seen, like, a 57-year-old person do that. It's always, like, a teenager or, like, a callow 20... Like, someone no. that, who yeah. hasn't ever faced their own mortality before. Ah, right. I remember the very first time I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> I, <laughs> when was that? I had a it was, it was when my I had my very first gallbladder attack. Oh. And there's something deep inside my core just broke loose. And I don't know if there was internal bleeding. I don't know if this was some kind of aneurysm. I just knew that I, that I was – I don't even know they can make it to a hospital fast enough. I'm like – Mountain of sticks. I'm 30 minutes away. I'm probably going to die. Right. Um, like there's there's no there's no cure for what is was ailing me. <laughs> um, That's a painful thing. So yeah. yeah, yeah. But I've like before then I'd wrecked motorcycles twice. I jumped off an 80 foot cliff in the water and broke my tailbone and almost drowned. But I never really felt like you know death icy hand on my heart. Uh-huh. Have you had an experience where you thought you're going to die? Uh, for for a brief flash. Yeah. I I. Would you care to talk about the circumstances? Sure, yeah. Uh, I was a young, dumb teenager, and I was doing something. <laughs> oh, wow. I you got one doing. early. You got yeah. an early experience. Uh, I can't remember what age I was. I was probably like somewhere around 18. Uh, and I was driving a car down a road real fast, coming back from uh, Monrovia. Sure, Rovi. Yep. And I. It was dark, and I couldn't see really where I was going. And uh-huh. I was in a new a new car that I had just bought. Not Not a new car, an old old new car mm-hmm. uh and i hit this what, what must have been just a 90 degree turn sure and I, I was going like 60 miles an hour <laughs> and there was no freaking way i was making that turn uh-huh. and uh, so i'm like yep i'm not making this turn and and i tried to make the turn and my car like ramped off because it was kind of a banked turn uh-huh. so my car ramped off the thing did a 180 in midair landed like on its wheels, mm-hmm. no problem, and skidded backwards like fifty feet in this field, uh-huh. just total clearing. And you know those streets in Monrovia, sure, they're lined with trees yeah. everywhere. And or I was like, or... "This is it, I'm fucking done." And yeah. it just so happened that I I jumped over the ditch into a just a perfectly clear field, yeah, and, and did a perfect one eighty like in midair, no. My first no motorcycle wreck was just like that. I was heading <laughs> down. Um, I forget where I was going, but I remember I was listening to a Walkman. My first mistake. Yeah. And yeah. like the, it was one of those auto reverse deals where I'd get the end of the tape, it would it would flip and start playing the other. And but something it got it got hooked up or screwed up. And I remember opening up my leather jacket pocket and, and taking a peek down there to see what the hell had gone wrong. <laughs> and I look up and I was coming to a, ni- a ninety degree turn. Uh-huh. Same thing. It was about three foot above. Uh-huh. I go sailing. 
sailing through the air, and this is like eight thirty in the morning. This is going to be important later on. And I hit this like I, I missed. There was trees on either side of me. I went right through the perfect gap. Yep. And I landed, and I stuck the landing, and I'm going like 55 miles an hour through this oh, pasture. That's almost worse. Oh, okay, through a pasture. Yeah, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm the king of the fucking world. And I see off to my left, there's like this guy's driveway. Like, mm-hmm. this, cause this is a really nice house, and they had this like really nice driveway, house on the hill. So I'm like, okay, I need to scrub some speed here and start to turn to make it. And mm-hmm. this grass turns out was like ice because it was covered in dew. And right. as soon as I grabbed yeah. a little bit of front brake, it instantly tucked on me. And I yep. just went boom, just like just, uh. and you know, it was grass and I was wearing adequate protection. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I wish I just, right. I wish I just come to complete stop before I try to make the turn. Um, right. So. Are, do you want to bring um, – do you want to bring Fern – or Fern, rather, Fernando back into the conversation here? Sure. Um, he says that the part uh, – this is the part where it gets scary. Let me first say I grew up in a strict Catholic home. A Catholic school is all about sacraments and the whole deal. However, uh, just like you, I didn't buy into it and learn more uh, – lean more into the scientific side of things, the rational side this life was no Aaron and Jim dealing with the JW cult, but in a home where religion was very strong and me not buying into it, it got pretty uncomfortable. Hmm. As I grew up, I left religion more and more, and I wouldn't say I'm an atheist by any means, as I do have a spiritual side, but organized religion is something I don't practice. With that out of the way, the one aspect that always fascinates me in dealing with religion is the afterlife, and this is why the film is so dear to my heart. The question of what's on the other side of death is a big one, and I would like uh, to hear you guys' take on it. Do you guys feel we just blink out of existence when we die, or do you feel there's something after um, I've seen a lot of films, but I've never seen one to give such a vivid take on afterlife. I read once that after people read the book of what dreams may come, that it gave them a sense of calm and made them lose their fear of their afterlife. Now, hmm. this is actually based on a novel by Richard Matheson, who is a That's, kind of science fiction fantasy writer, if I'm reading right. his Wikipedia page. It's right. odd to me that a fictional story would give you any kind of comfort as regards the real life. It does, though. In that regard. I, yeah. I can I, give you countless examples so. of where fiction has, like, informed my – or made, made – like, like 1984 right. is probably one of the huge, big cornerstones of why I left my religion because it laid bare the false thinking patterns mm-hmm. and the, the the mental dilemmas that I've constructed for myself in a – and and I and if it had been a book about a religious cult, I wouldn't I would it wouldn't have penetrated. But mm-hmm. because I engaged in the character in a non related thing and saw that like different situation but exact same patterns enabled to me to kind of so I I right, definitely and I, I wonder if the people who've said that about this movie are are speaking more about the grief and loss in their life than any kind of actual like afterlife. Hmm. Uh, because he I can, could see that. He continues, a lot of people have seen the film jokingly tell me that they made heaven out to be more of a personal holodeck that you can use forever. I think that's pretty much true, but also mm-hmm. badass if that's what heaven's like. In any case, yeah. the talk of afterlife can never be truly answered for obvious reasons, but this interpret- uh, interpretation of what dreams may come is my favorite take on it. Um, I w- so I want to talk about this a little bit because I think the afterlife is fascinating. And... We know that after we die, or death is not a a a a point; it's a continuum, right? 
you know, like first your heart stops beating and then oh, right. your yes. oxygen slowly desaturates out of your blood sure. and then your brain starts dying and then your brain is dead. But the cells that make up are still alive. And yeah, and, and it's a process as, that can take a week or more as medical technology progresses. We are f- further able to reach into that continuum and pull people back. Right. Yeah. And we I also know from experimenting with different substances in my life that time is a very subjective thing when mm-hmm. your brain is 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 uh has some foreign element introduced to it right like something that you might have thought take took a year or like just took an hour was only fifteen seconds and vice versa yeah and you think about dreams right those and you usually think about happen dreams. In seconds before you wake up right and they but, can feel like years and I wonder like if is that a useful way to see the afterlife that mm-hmm. it's not perhaps real but it could feel like it's an eternity f- in in your subjective terms right in that case i mean because it's a dream you never be... wake up from and you kind of flew you, you kind of float off into progressively less conscious right. awareness as you're in the middle of it yeah and at some point it ends but you're un- unaware of that right and so for it's like you, falling asleep it, it in the middle forever. of a movie like you right. could in you know um for a year for from your perspective the movie never ended right right uh sure i mean it could definitely it could definitely feel a lot like this movie right i mean it might even be the case that this movie although he's reincarnated at the end so uh or, or that might even be part of it it might just be this is robin williams coming to terms with his own guilt over not helping his wife um, and that none of this actually happens. None of this is actually in an afterlife. It's in the moments where he dies. And I actually shot. thought like there was an outside chance that he was going to wake up at the end of this and he'd be with right. his family and or at least or his in wife. That, in that full body cast in the hospital. I mean, that's that's yeah. the shot where they pull away and you can see that right. he's gone to this quote unquote afterlife. Right. Uh, he may not even be, in fact, dead or I mean, one of the questions I wrote down in my notes is, is is this all happening during the state of him dying? Right. Like, you know, not after after the end of this continuum, not after the point where he is, in fact, dead, but, like, as he's dying in his mm-hmm. own mind. The other thing I want to talk about is how little comfort I find religious funeral ceremonies to be. And I've all, even when I was mm-hmm. a true believer, I felt like... And I'd seen, I've been to a bunch. I've been to, you know, ones that were like Methodist, ones that were Baptist. I've been to a Catholic funeral. I've been to innumerable Jehovah's Witnesses memorials, mm-hmm. which are essentially three minutes on the person, 30 minutes on how awesome Jehovah's Witnesses are. Uh, and I've always found them to be very cold comfort because at the end of the day, if you like, as an atheist, as a secular atheist, like shit happens. It's not about your your goodness or your badness. It's not about God plucking flowers for his garden. It's not about God needing another kind soul. Like, all right. that stuff, like, I can't believe people swallow that shit. Yeah. Like, seriously? God need another angel in heaven? Like, is he unable to make one? Right. What does that even mean, that God needs something in heaven? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never understood why people like tell each other that shit. Like, cause it never, yeah, ever, ever made me feel are... better about anything. No, but no, I, I, I it must either. make a lot of people. And I know that I think, I mean, right. I've have empirical evidence throughout my life that I think very differently than a lot of people. And that's not me being arrogant. I think that's, that describes everyone. Right. Everyone thinks yeah. differently than everyone else. It's right. just that. You know, you're on the bell curve somewhere of different, like, you know, religious and philosophy and politics mm-hmm. and finances and addiction. Like, you know, uh, I, I, but I, I, 
I don't know, man. I've, I've seen people say that. I've heard people say it to me, like when my grandmother dies and stuff. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? But you can't say that, of course. I mean, you can, but then you're some crazy character from a TV drama. Right. right. Screaming in the, fun- the funeral parlor. Yeah. I mean, obviously, those things do nothing for me. I, as, as far as an afterlife goes, I don't believe that there is one. I believe that you cease to exist when you die, and that's all there is to it. Uh, now, of course, I don't have evidence for that, but anybody who would... But I, I think that's, in my opinion, that's kind of the default position, right? Like, we... Sure. Like, there's a burden of proof if you say, we go we go to a carnival where there are free hot dogs and, and candy corn for everyone. And like, seeing, seeing a tunnel of light... Prove which, that to me, please. Well, seeing a tunnel of light, which Robin Williams literally moved through in this movie, seeing mm-hmm. a tunnel of light in a near-death experience is no proof because of the things right. i just talked about like all that stuff can be ex you know ex uh, you know you can see a lot of shit dropping acids or or, or, or eating mushrooms right that don't mean it's an it's, altered brain state it's not yeah it's not necessarily real um it's not necessarily false either True. we just need to understand it better and we need some some in incisive look into the post-death uh period for <laughs> A human being and that's just not possible i do think it makes me feel better because i've i'm not familiar with any stories of people coming back and reporting that it was just like oh my god i felt afraid and scared and i was one of the faces like on the way to hell it, it, it's, it's always been like you know this warm loving accepting feeling and, and peaceful like you know like right. i guess like people describe drowning as the same way or freezing to death the same way mm-hmm. that like you know your brain kind of you know dumps the dopamine and, and lets you go out on a high note so and i mean that's nice it's also telling that people people tend to see whatever version of god they believe in right well for sure like uh, a buddhist doesn't come back and say yeah i fucking saw yahweh right it was it would it surprised me but right. that's what it is right. guys right uh, they're always gonna see I'm what they think. Expecting God to be more browner, but he was white as hell, right? You know, uh, had Saint Peter up there. Shocking, shocking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. Thinking about it is certainly nice. Um, actually believing it is problematic, though. Mm. Why? In my opinion, because it leads you to live your life in a way that is not aligned with reality. Well, so you okay. I or, guess that's my problem with when atheists talk that way. I think it's it's like for example, I kind of soft believe in an afterlife. I don't okay. have any evidence for it. I just choose to think that there's something more. Mm-hmm. Um but does it alter your behavior in your life? Fuck no. I don't want to die. Okay. Like cuz like, like you know, it's like I if if that's just my way of dealing with the mysteriousness of the of, of where I'm going on this journey, but I'm not in any hurry for this journey to be in to, to be over. But if you believe in reincarnation, it might change how you live your life. It might affect that. But good or bad? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It just changes how you live your life. And if it's, in fact, not true, then that is that is a fundamental mistake, in my opinion. So you think that – I I think it's interesting because I, I, like, I don't know what it is, but I know that you have false beliefs and mm-hmm. they influence the way you, leave, you live your life. Right. Everyone Positively does. and negatively. So why do we plead the special case with the religion that like, oh, if this because person no, believes this. Because you can't gain any insight into it. Like if I have a false belief that, I, I don't know, that uh, silver is as valuable as gold and I'm hoarding silver and mm-hmm. I'm saying, I, oh, man, I, I'm going to be rich because I got silver. 
Well, yeah, of course I made a mistake based on a false belief, but I can correct that belief. I can go and I can look up the price of gold and silver and say, oh, yeah, I was totally wrong. Well, I should you, do this other okay, thing. Okay, try, try coming to an example where the true or falseness lies entirely in the metaphysical realm. So that's the problem with it, right? It, it's it's not physical. It's something that you can't examine in any way. So okay. if I alter my my life to align with that, I can never be proven wrong. I can never... Uh, I don't have any way to say this is how I should live my life based on the facts. Okay. Like I want like the but the line f- I hear that I like the most comes from like Matt Dillahunty, who's uh, one of the big uh, atheist speakers out there um, and thinkers, and he says I want to know as many true things as possible and as few things that are false as possible. Like that is the best way to live your life. I agree, and I but I, but I feel like there's a tension between you bump up with like how how do we deal with the poor? How do we deal with the sick? How do we deal with the weak? How do we deal with like those are what? questions that don't have like what is the empirically right uh, question for how you deal with the poor? <laughs> okay, take into account every factor there is, sure, but that's stuff we can test stuff that we can actually examine and figure out i don't know because your thesis could be fuck the poor they're poor or your thesis could be they're poor need our help we need but to what help is them. that what is that what is that conclusion based on that's the thing your like, personal philosophy no no come on what how can it you, be anything you want to do because if you're a decent human being in my opinion you want to do as much good for as making. many people as possible another person could say well you're no but it's not it's linked to the societal structure Okay. It's, it's linked to humanity's evolution as a as a societal creature. Like, isn't religion part of that it's evolution? All, it's sure, but the the problem is you can't examine that at all and say here's a choice we should make based on this because we don't know if it's real or not. Whereas we can say, oh, the the homeless are suffering. The homeless have, uh, you know. STDs and and alcohol problems and who knows what they've got. But we can examine that and we can say, here's a solution. Here's a fix based on actual fact, not some wishful thinking. But but you have to you have to accept some kind of premise or conclusion, like the fact that you have an obligation to help the poor or the poor oh, can be helped. Do. Or I think from from a societal standpoint, you do because mm-hmm. if you say we live in a society and that benefits us, mm-hmm. which it certainly has. Um, then what if, then what your if, incentive is to make society better for everyone because it benefits what you. What if your thesis is by helping the poor in an overt handout way, you're actually making them more dependent on you? I mean, I'm not, I don't believe in this stuff. I'm just right. saying that these are uh, arguments I've heard articulated. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, yes, you're right. You can drill down and get some empirical data on some point. But I've, I've seen so much of what we argue about in politics and ethics and morality are essentially just differing opinions and how you view life. Right. Like if you are a poor person and you pulled yourself up from the bootstraps, you're more inclined to feel like I, I don't even know more inclined because that's one way you can go and you think, well, the, I did that. Why can't everyone? And then I've also seen rich people that were born on third base and thought they hit a triple thinking that, well, that's because I, you know, my family's special and my genetics and my upbringing and my breeding. And, and if you put me in a gutter, I'd be able to claw my way to the top. And right, then you've got rich people that are altruistic. And no, because I think that politics is all about is, is also intertwined with metaphysics, ethics and, and morality as well necessarily it has to be uh i don't know about metaphysics i don't think there is such a thing as metaphysics in my opinion all right 
Well, if, if you want to label something metaphysics and believe in it, go for it. Uh, I just think you're. I mean, ethics and morality are part of fundamental metaphysics. Mistake. They don't have any place. In, there is no morality or ethics in the real world. Right. So that is metaphysics. Like you think metaphysics is woo jumbo they're, mumbo jumbo. They're concepts, jumbo. but they're not. Yeah, but the afterlife is not a concept that we can examine. Politics and and those types of quote unquote metaphysics are things that we can take a look at, put under a microscope, understand them. Like the afterlife is an impossibility. Yeah, I'm not to, to breach. Sure, I'm not. I'm, I mean, but but I'm saying is there are there is a tenuous connection to all of this. I mean, are we striving for information? Are we striving to actually believe things that are true and not believe things that are false? Or are we just throwing our hands up and saying, well, everybody can have their own opinion on everything because none of it, none of it can be examined or, or it's not worth examining? Like, No, I definitely think it's all worth examining. I'm just saying that like everyone has to go through that, that, that voyage on their own and everyone's got also like, you know, you start granting the, a, a personal experience with right. God. Right, so, so to say... Sure, everyone goes through that that voyage, as you're calling it, on their own. But the goal shouldn't be to believe in false things or to believe in things that can't in any way be proven. Right. I mean that that just seems fundamental to me. Like, but that's you what don't... I, we're going back to. Like, I don't think anyone willfully believes. I mean, no, that's not true. There is such a thing as cognitive dissonance where. You're presented with information that directly contradicts your worldview, and then rather than change, you have some kind of convoluted way to continue believing the two things. Uh, you know, you, you got some way. We talked about it in the Westworld podcast. You got some way to resolving right. that tension. But I, I think that the 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 worldview I hear you espouse is almost like you know people are choosing to believe these wrong things, and I don't think that's the truth. They've got. I didn't say they're wrong. States. I said they're unprovable. They have different. They have different. Um, well, like I said, if you've had a personal experience with God or the afterlife, then to you it's proven. Sure. You can't prove it to anyone else, and you can't say this is that's anecdotal evidence. But like anecdotal evidence happens to me, I believe in a lot. Right. You know? But how many people do you think have actually would claim a personal experience with God versus how many people believe in some kind of afterlife? I don't know. The number like, is very small. I don't know how many religious people are fooling themselves, how many people are just going along with the flow. I certainly – that's one of the things that troubled me is I never felt that presence in my mm-hmm. heart, heart and mind that like people describe when they have these like experiences. But shit tons of people do. I would say the majority do. Right. But during but that time, again, they you believe be... in an afterlife as well. So like – that's the thing like <laughs> there are i that that is the one place certainly that you can't examine you can't get in someone's head and say you didn't experience this thing mm-hmm. um i i would never tell someone I might think, okay, so, maybe so, they're delusional. Maybe they don't understand the experience. So, so I they had. grant maybe. you, I grant you that that's a personal decision, a personal experience that you know that you can't. That's untouchable. It's, it's untouchable, it's, and it's, it's it doesn't. It's, it's whenever you try to investigate outside your own mind and body, you're in a fool's errand. But I also think that attitudes towards a lot of things that are f- flesh and blood and material. Mm-hmm are informed by those same quixotic notions that we form in our heads. And I find that that's the one thing I find odd about modern some of the modern secular atheist movement is they want to plead the special case like Christian or like like religion is this is this one source of false information when there's really tons and they're they but don't the they source. don't have a banner or a label. Right. Well, they do. They're Republican or Democrat and they're communist and capitalist and all that false dichotomy stuff, but you but know, all, all that stuff 
is is informed by the physical attributes. You say that, I don't world. believe it. I mean, it's all informed by experience or your chemical makeup. So, like, those things are real. Those are things we can point to and say this did, in fact, happen. Um, but there are a lot of them based on emotion, which in modern neurological study doesn't seem rational at all. They're essentially but, but a Schrodinger's box. Like, whether you're going to be angry or sad, th- whether you're going to be vindictive or forgiving, those are split-second uh, random states in your brain to generate <laughs> an output that then you desperately try to rationalize after the fact. Sure, but because we don't understand it doesn't mean we can't examine it. And that's the, sure, the yeah. fundamental difference is now you're – you're going beyond the wall of what humanity can actually understand because we can't look at it. What if we never... And you're saying what, those what things if, are true, and that just... That will influence how you live your life. Right, and I'm just saying, like, I, I sure, we might be able to... I mean, I find... I don't know which is more horrifying, the fact that we are just randomness, that we rationalize after the fact, or that we are essentially little Newtonian machines that if we could ever understand our exact operating state, we could predict everything that we'd ever think or do. Right. Like, I don't know which one of those possibilities is more horrifying. Sure. But I feel like, I guess I'm open to the possibility of either one where I feel like you think more towards the latter. Like we are going to sufficiently come to an understanding where all this stuff will be figured out. And I think, Oh, that, I, don't, I don't know if we'll ever get there because I think in the mo- what, what I'm seeing from modern science is increasingly, there's some things that like, we'll have good idea of how the systems work, but how individuals like, you know, electrons, you can know its position or it's, or it's velocity. Right. Uh, you can never know both at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Is there anything like, I feel like this is kind of what he wanted to hear from us. Uh, bonus question for you both. All the people who have seen this film that I've talked to cried at some point or many points during the film, but all have said the same thing to me. They always fell apart sobbing in the dog scene when Robin Williams is telling his daughter that they are going to put Katie to sleep while she is holding her one last time. Why is this? There are a lot of sad scenes in the film, and I'm not shy to say I always cry seeing this film at different points, but why does this scene hit the most? I guess the question is more for Aaron, because knowing Jim, he probably didn't shed one tear during the whole film. Did you? No, I didn't. God damn it. (laughs) I actually have in mind a community commission for something I think might, might, might make you cry, because it would be, I would like to see you cry at some point in this lifetime. I don't, that's probably, I, it's just not something I do very often. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I, 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 I'm only a softy in comparison to you, because I, I also find it, um, I don't know. I, as I get older and I, I, I'm, I've become a father, it's a little bit easier to, to get me worked up. But right. Um, why do people cry with dogs more? Like even people that don't technically normally die. I don't know. I feel like dogs are the eternal children and that, you know, there's something <laughs> tragic in the fact that like we as humans can contextualize and understand things like, you know, a five year old like it's something it's always tragic, a five year old boy or girl dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when you see like a kid that's only got a week to live and they're playing with toys like that always gets me because they just don't get it and they're never going to get it and they're not going to know sure. what they're missing out on. And and I feel like dogs are like the ultimate example of that. Like they're eternal children, they're always at the level of a two-year-old child. They don't under, you know, like you know, you got a dog, and you've resolved that you're gonna have to put them down because they're in so much pain. And then on the way to the vet, they want to play with the fucking ball. And then what do you do? Like, you okay. know, yeah. that stuff. I think, and the fact that I think people have a lot more. Like even young people usually have. Are familiar with the idea of losing a pet and that might that's usually everyone's like it's either your grandma or grandpa or a pet 
that's your first experience with death. Right, right. And those kind of the, the fact that that's so universal might be why it provokes an emotional response. Like a, a tough teenager, early 20-something that lost his dog when he's five, like he's not going to give a shit about women and children and spouses and all that, but like he remembers, like, you know, a lot of pain is personal. You can't, you know, sure. if, yeah. if you don't identify with it, it's funny or it's stupid. So, yep. Uh, but yeah, I don't, um, but I, you know, I, I've always, um, like Bambi's mom getting shot, Dumbo's mom getting taken away and put into prison train, uh, old Yeller getting shot. That stuff, uh, always prison got train. me as a kid. Prison train's the worst. Yeah. Do you remember that's like prison when she's train, like, she, she, got... she reaches out her trunk and cradles him and yeah. then it's like, Oh my God, I'm about to, I'm about to get teary just thinking about it. Well, prison train's worse than death. Prison train, probably you got to suffer longer. Probably is death. I imagine that was just their the, that that was uh, what they're going to do with the elephant until they had a chance to kill it. Oh, I thought they were weren't they like taking her to the circus or something? I don't fucking. No, know. she was in the circus and like the clowns were tormenting Dumbo and she went on a rampage. <sighs> I saw this thirty years ago. Man. <laughs> sure, I don't remember Dumbo. Uh, so as a special I remember he could guest, fly with his ears. As a special guest, I'm going to bring on my ten year old to hear his thoughts on death and loss. No. <laughs> So what do you think about Dumbo? Uh, Mind Dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um anyway, thanks Fernando for uh commissioning this podcast. I I thought the movie was great. I teared up a bunch of times and I thought the movie was beautiful. Um Yeah, I did too. I it, it, if it was... I, I wish uh, there was like a 10% less Patch Adams um and 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 a little <laughs> bit more twist to knife um uh, because I'm I'm a 40-year-old cynical bastard at this point, but I can see why yeah. Anyone with a a spiritual, let's put it that way, spiritual bent would uh, like this movie, and uh, I count myself among those. What uh, are the odds that if reincarnation was real, that you'd be reincarnated literally right next to the person who also was reincarnated? Well, also play and that soulmate. out. You're going to bump into. So, so first of all, what are these kids doing alone at the park when they're like five years old? A right. Okay. Yep. What the hell? B. Uh, <laughs> B. You meet when you're I'll four or five you. years old. Right. Do you, like, I've heard of high school sweethearts. I've never heard of, like, preschool sweethearts. Oh, but they're soulmates. They're soulmates. That's the thing. Um, and, and, and third, yeah, like, I get it. You found them f- through hell with some kind of metaphysical tracking dog, mm-hmm. spiritual guide. But I actually feel like it would be easier to find someone in hell than it would be in New Jersey. Yeah, me too. Especially, like, when you're reincarnated, do you... I, I guess I need to know more about the mechanics. Like, did God give you a choice of, like, oh, you're both going to be reincarnated in Jersey, or you're going to be in Calcutta, right. and you're going to be in fucking Beijing, yeah. or Northern Ireland, or whatever. And are they going to grow up to look exactly like they do, exactly like they did? I don't know. Because they I look don't. like they're headed that direction. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you got the buck-toothed blondie and, and dark-haired. Right pixie cut and then like what happens when you cross the street without looking because your parents are letting you run around in a park at five years old and you get you get ran <laughs> right. down then well, then you start the whole process over again. <laughs> are they i suppose they would recognize their kids if they went back to heaven at five years old in their new lives right well i mean that's i guess that's the thing is if reincarnation is real where is their awareness of their previous lives is this the first time they've ever done a spin on the old reincarnation wheel maybe it comes back once they are they very young souls like, is there a level? Like, I also I want know. to see a level of heaven that's like essentially the Q continuum in Deep Space Nine, where they're just like, 
Have you seen, or maybe it's Voyager? Yeah, they're at an old old gas station. They're so fucking bored. Like, why? You're gonna? Oh, okay. You're gonna reincarnate? Great, (laughs) Uh great. I'll see you here in a heartbeat. (laughs) Right. Oh, do it a hundred more times. A hundred more heartbeats. I'll wait a minute and a half. Oh, you're back. I mean, I guess that's the other thing. The problem with eternity that always used to bug me when I talked. You know, you think about like living forever on Paradise Earth is like right. A lot forever is a long time. In some ways, I would almost rather be non-existent forever than exist forever <laughs> be forced to exist forever right right yeah um okay so there you go uh again thanks fernando if you would like to podcast or you'd like to commission a podcast rather you can do so at uh baldmove.com slash shop mm-hmm. where you can either do what fernando did and and grab a project all to yourself or we have a variety of selections we call them community commissions we're actually about to add a bunch more uh, finally going to have some time to do that where you can for 10 bucks at a time, uh, at a time buy shares. And when all the shares of the movie are, are, are sold, then, uh, we make a podcast for the whole community, but that's how, that's how it works. Baldmove.com yeah. slash shop. Thanks again for your support and we'll see you on an, uh, the next one. <laughs>